This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, part of the Counter Stories crew, and today we have a special recording um, for you today. And uh, before we go around and introduce everybody here, we want to mention that we're recording from In Progress, a nonprofit that supports young artists in the uh, Twin Cities community, but there's also connections in Crookston and at in Red Lake and many other places across the state of Minnesota. So look up In Progress at in-progress.org and find out more about this wonderful uh, organization. Today, we have a conversation with the brothers. Uh, we Today, we have four black males that are going to co- have a conversation about what's coming up for them in this current climate. Here in Minnesota, we've gone through a lot in the last couple of years, from the unrest around the killing and the murder of George Floyd, the killing of Dante Wright, Winston Smith. And again, we had to add another name to that list, Brother Amir Locke. In addition to all those who are unnamed that are part of our community, not just from black community space, but also in indigenous communities and other communities around the state of Minnesota. We've got a lot to talk about today. So without further ado, I'm gonna uh, have us introduce ourselves and go around. You know me from the Counter Stories crew, Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and we'll move to my left and go around. All right, I'm Cassius Benson. I am an attorney. I'm the chief public defender at Hennepin County's Public Defender's Office. I've had that position for um, just over a year now. I am the executive director of community education, athletics and activities in Robbinsdale Area Schools. I'm D.A. Bullock. I'm the uh, narrative strategist for Reclaim the Block and also filmmaker and documentary filmmaker. So as we get into this conversation, I want us to to put ourselves into a mindset. I want you to think about this. We've had two years, just in a two-year block. We've got pandemic unrest. We've got an assault at our capital. We've got the the events that we've been talking about here over the last couple of years as it pertains to communities in the Twin Cities area. But in addition to that, we have a cultural climate in the United States that is reminiscent of some of the things our grandparents and aunties talked to us about and that we've experienced growing up. From schools in Prior Lake and, of course, Brother Williams, you know this firsthand, uh, some of our our teams that are playing other school districts being the receiving end and receiving end of racist comments and jeers. Um, Of course, most notably recently, and we've heard it on the Counter Stories podcast, the athletic director in St. Louis Park Schools had to write a letter saying that they weren't going to play. Was it Prior Lake? Mm -hmm. Um, New Prague. New Prague. New Prague. Um, The reason Prior Lake came up is because we had the Prior Lake incident with the young girl who had um, the video sent to a bird telling her to kill herself. So there was all of these things that are coming up and we can't, uh, we can't deny that it has some effect on our psyche as black men who are given the history of the United States. So I'm just curious as we open up, what is coming up for you as you think about all of those things that have hit us over these last couple of years? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it hasn't gone unnoticed that um, Minnesota Minneapolis, the Twin Cities has been an epicenter for a lot of these, you know, racial uh, issues coming to a head. And I think it's it's really been telling just the amount of pressure and the amount of um, sort of the way that we have had to handle that that trauma. And especially as black men, you know, because, you know, we've had to um, navigate that in our communities as well as navigate that in the sort of 
larger uh, general population and us being, we're not uh, a large minority like a city like you know Chicago or Detroit or uh, cities where I'm from. So it, 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 it's more acute in a lot of ways because we don't have the numbers and the sort of ways to, to coalesce and support one another. Going over the past couple of years has really brought up a lot of trauma. You know, um, trauma has already existed, you know, uh, within, our, within many of our lives. You know, we have, we really ride on sort of a wave of continuous trauma. But, you know, uh, given the events of the past couple of years and even, you know, as you mentioned some things, uh, you know, um, near and dear recently within our school districts, you know, I think uh, that, that trauma, I was just at a session about racial harm you know, and what that looks like in, the, in our students, also in our community. Uh, but for me personally, and I, I'll probably go into this a little bit deeper, you know, as we get, as I get a little more comfortable. And I'm, I'm speaking as, and I do want to say, I do have to, I do have to put a, uh, I do have to put a disclaimer out there. I'm speaking as Anthony Williams, a black man, not the executive director right. of community education. You know, my, my views are my views mm-hmm. and not that solely of the, of the school district. So I do want to put that out there, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but like I said the the trauma that that we deal with on a continuous basis has just been brought up and and, and right now, if we're asking about how I feel, mm. it's probably anger mm. more than likely it is it's not even probably it is anger mm-hmm. you know it's just that I'm in a space where I can't always express that anger, huh. so then it turns into rage, right because it's in a bottle you know come and, on, and, come uh, on bro. get there go there hope that like uh, I think I, I thank you for the words because that articulation is the is is the thing, right? If I express it the way I'm feeling it and the way that I want to say it right now, the um, the the blowback on my family yeah. and on me is very different from than other folks. That's 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 huge. I thank you. Thanks for bringing that into the mix. No, I agree with that. Actually, you know, because you were mentioning the trauma, um, and as you're saying that. And I look at it as, you know, there's sadness, but then also anger. And I will, you know, I can say as well that I'll say this as myself rather than the agency. But um, we'll get to the agency I work with and lead later. But, um, yeah, so the there's anger in, you know, and also a, a certain uh, level of frustration, which is the same anger. When you look at um, what's going on in the last two years, it's not different than what went on 60 years ago. You mentioned like what happened with our grandparents and everything else. You know, my, my parents were actually, my mom just had an 86th birthday. Mm. So um, they grew up in South Carolina. It was their home uh, town. But given the, uh, the deaths and everything else, the, the frustration or the frustrating part of that anger is that um, whether it's now or it's 10 years ago, Trayvon Martin, another area, huh. it's the same thing over and over and over. So, um, so it's a 10 years since Trayvon and the list of names. And this is only because we have footage now, right? Like we, we have a media space that allows us access to it in a way where we had to use our stories to get it to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember having calls, um, with family, particularly in Mississippi and Alabama, where, um, a good for- portion of my family live and, and, and Texas as well. And you would get these stories like over the phone as folks are trying to figure out and coordinate family get-togethers and road right. trips. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, by the way, did you know so-and-so's family member either met violence because of the internal violence happening in the community, but, but, but a whole lot of external and, and extrajudicial killing right. um, that, that 
make it to you and then you you know somebody you know somebody you know somebody um and that's just that that is is starting a cycle that I'm learning <laughs> even as a pastor you go through training for this and yet applying it to self is always hard um just learning why is certain things bubbling up at certain times and you realize what has been bubbling below the surface mm-hmm. um so I'm, I'm 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 curious as we as we as we talk about that you know what what are the ways in which those things bubble over um how does that look like what does it feel like what does it sound like when it when when you come to terms with the fact that what's bubbling behind is the thing that brother williams he was talking about i mean you, you cash has just mentioned that you know his mom uh, 86 years old, grew up in South Carolina, so saw, like, the the heart of, you know, segregation and discrimination and so the the, the beast of this country. Yet, um, you know, someone like Ida B. Wells, who is one of my, my heroes, um, was writing about lynching that could be applied directly to what we're, you know, experiencing right now. The, the, the actual words and descriptions can be applied to what we saw um, in Darnella Frazier's videotape of George Floyd. So in, in, in many ways, it's like you have this dual existence because you honor and, and appreciate the sacrifices given by, you know, the people who came before us, our family members who, you know, were in a, in many ways, a, a much more like harsh condition yet we're still dealing with some of the exact same repercussions of, like you said, state-sanctioned violence or, you know, um, segregate or slavery going to reconstruction, going to convict leasing, going to mass incarceration, like these these cycles of the same type of behavior that are building up uh, within an American system that we we haven't yet really grasp we haven't yet really confronted it, it that that's that's a part for me and I don't, I don't need to dominate the conversation but y'all y'all are dropping gems on me right now that are just making my brain swim um and what you just said there you know it, it it's it's and and but the women's curious you know where you face this in the school district side because you have this assault on even our ability to tell the stories you just said I, i'm just it just it's it um, it's dawning on me that in parts of the country right now what you just said would be outlawed to talk about in school so true like like this is that just is adding insult to the injury that y'all have been talking about so again back in this this bubble what i can can i can get out i mean that, that's what we're dealing with right it's like um, an attack on the truth. Mm. The, the, I mean, the truth has had we. The truth has been there. It has never been presented as the truth. When we talk about history, we talk about you know telling these these stories. You know, in a school system, you know there has been an outright attack on that truth, and because the system isn't necessarily designed to to allow us to to uh, I would say infuse. The truth into the into the minds of our students, then we then we see you know uh, the backlash. We see the the suppression of you know true authentic self, right? And then that's what leads to the once again the additional trauma. You know uh, that's what leads to you know um, some of the outburst when you mm-hmm. when you can't be yourself, right? That's also what leads to some of the self harm. You yeah. know that, that we're seeing arise in in our schools because our students who are 
very different than my generation, right? Because they are more global. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can look out and see a lot of things on social media and they want to express themselves and they're going to find a way to express themselves. But when they're told that their, their truth isn't authentic, you know, that, that just leads to, you know, like I said, just it's a ripple effect on, on, on their emotional uh, well-being and then how they respond to that, whether it's an whether it's, uh, internal response or an external response. You know, it's funny. I just want to name a pattern. <laughs> and in, 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 in that space, we, we, we keep moving off of self mm-hmm. and going into thinking about our babies, yeah. our community, our history, our families. And it's just, I'm noticing as a pattern for myself as a black male that, that I go, caretaking comes to a place that makes me feel like I have some sense of control over right. stuff. And in doing so, I stop caring about myself. And so I just want to name that in the space as a <laughs> right. pattern, like, like, right. and, and this is, this is like community healers, like Dr. Joy sure. and folks like yep. that, Mother of Tomb, I can hear their, them screaming in the so ears, true. I'm <laughs> noticing a pattern. <laughs> so I just wanted to put that into the space, like, it's just, uh, cause again, that, that bottling thing you said, Brother Williams, at the beginning, is just, is just rolling in my head right now. Mm-hmm. So I just want to name that in the pattern for us to think about. To, you know, to, to sort of respond to that, to that point, because you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, we tend to take the focus off of self, you know, but that's also a counter story in, its, you know, in, in itself, because a lot of times when you talk about black men, especially, is that we don't care. Mm. Right. You know, that, mm. that we are selfish. You know, we we don't care about the family. We don't care about our youth. But really, if you hear any black man that I know, you know, say when, when you talk about the issues in the community, they're, they're, they're not talking about you know, themselves and impact on themselves. It's about what about my babies? Right. What about my family? What about my community? You know, we have to look at self because we are the protectors of the community. Hmm. So sometimes we put ourselves last and that might not be the, that, that's how I was raised. That may not be the, <laughs> well, what's the right way? I don't know what the right way mm-hmm. is, you know, because I know you're supposed to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. but I, I can't take care of me if my daughter's not okay. Mm. Mm. And just, you know, how, how much of society really has afforded us that opportunity, right? Mm. Like, how many of us grew up having, you know, opportunities to to go see a therapist or have someone to talk to or just have someone to, to confide in in a way where you could share your vulnerability? Most often, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so most often I've, I've never even thought about myself in peril. When I think about, like, the peril of the streets, I think about my son. Mm-hmm. I don't think about myself, even though... Probably in his lifetime, he won't face the same dangers that I faced in the streets of Chicago. Or he might, but I, I never interpret it in the same way. Like, I never interpret the self-care in the same way, right? Mm. Or addressing the trauma that probably is still built up in me as an adult, as a father, that I've never really dealt with. That that probably, you know, would help us in raising our our sons, especially our sons, you know, obviously our sons and daughters, but especially our sons. Hmm. No, I agree with that I have, um, I have four daughters. So. <laughs> That's curse and a blessing, right? <laughs> so, um, but I will say, you know, as far as um, putting them first, I think that's true, you know, in, in terms of self-care. Um, that's something that, yeah, quite frankly, uh, and in work I do and everything else, something that I never crossed my mind. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. the <laughs> opportunity could be whatever, but um, yeah, definitely as far as my daughters, you know, uh, I got daughters, you know, twenty two, twenty, and then seven and five. So I got this, um, and the same idea, the same issues we're dealing with, you know, just in the span of the gap in their years. You know, yeah. we're still dealing with these same issues, but 
um, addressing like what you and um, Anthony, what you talked about as far as, you know, the social media and, and all of that. Um, if we go back in the last two years, my seven-year-old, my five-year-old girls are like, you know, five and three. And I'm like, you know, um, trying to spare them the trauma of what we, what everybody saw on social media with um, uh, the death of George Floyd. So that was um, just things that, you know, float in my mind as far as how to, you know, not necessarily shield them from it and because it's going to be impossible to shield them. But at the same time, you're doing a five and three-year-old looking at basically a lynching right. on video. Uh, so that's, that's where I'd, I'd say the trauma, you know, Obviously, it's there for me, but I'm trying to protect them from dealing with it, at least at that age, and then at the same time, let them know the truth about the situation. You know, I, I um, a shout, shout out to um, Brother Armstrong, um, who was leading a crew of brothers to de-escalate during a lot of the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, his, 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 I, I just... I remember being in St. Anthony, New Brighton. A bunch of students had called me to come out and just speak as part of their rally in remembrance of Philando Castillo, who was a classmate of mine. And um, so Philando was killed six blocks from my house. So, so when, when things went down, I was watching people like start going past my house and like go to a place. And then there was some commotion happening nearby, close enough for me to be able to be like, what's going on? I had no idea that this was the case. I mean, this is somebody who... You know, we, we the students in J.J. Hill were in my after-school program, right. so they would talk about Mr. Phil. And so, you know, there was this connection all the way around. And I remember showing up at the protest in, in, in St. Anthony, and it was led by St. Anthony students. Um, you know, the officer who, who, who killed Philando was, was from that area, was an uh, officer in that area, in that precinct. And, um, and Brother Armstrong's uh, uh, folks showed up. And um, there were a lot of, there's a lot of tension in the space and what was very fascinating is we're sitting there in a space where where the protest of the beginning of the protest before the march took place, there was very clearly visibly uh, blue uh, back to blue uh, yard signs next to Black Lives Matter long right. signs like there was this cultural battle happening in community. These babies are sitting in there and immediately my defense mechanism goes up. Sister Chantel Allen was there as well. Mm-hmm. And both of us are sitting next to each other. And both of us were sitting around surveying the area going, there's all these well-intentioned people. That's great. Are any of these folks thinking about these black students who are sitting here, uh, babies in here who are up front on the mic? Should something go down, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the protocol? Superintendent is sitting next to us, right? Mm. And the superintendent, I've had long conversations and known, known her for a while. And, and Sister Renee goes, um, you know, y'all, y'all look intense. You know, this, she's looking at this as this beautiful thing that's taking place in terms of, you know, students using their voice and, and there's all these things like that. And me and Sister Chantel are on edge, hair in the back of our neck standing up as we look and survey what's happening around. And Sister Chantel's a protest warrior. She's like, she knows how to do this, right? Right. And as soon as Brother Armstrong's crew got there, we visibly just... And these brothers went out, they were talking to folks, they were handing out water, they connected with the protest chaplains, and all of a sudden there was this calm that came over. And the superintendent noticed this. Mm-hmm. And she comes over and she goes, what, what made you just, uh, bo- I just watched both of y'all like breathe out. Right. And me and Chantel had to like have the conversation with her. And it wasn't even registering in the mind. And, and I realized in that moment that the first self-care that happened in there was Brother Armstrong's crew showing up mm-hmm. and the breath yep. that came out. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so I'm finding myself in moments where, and I, that's, this is why your brother Williams, your statement around the, the, the mm-hmm. cap on it keeps coming to mind because I am going back now and thinking about all these moments when I realize I've just broke. I've, this, I've breathed really for the first time right. in a particular situation. And I'm just finding that coming up for me over and over again throughout this these times. I, I build and it builds and it builds and I'm realizing I'm not breathing and something causes me to, and then I realize all the stuff I haven't been addressing for a while. Right. It's so constant though. Like you, you brought up Philando. Like it's been so constant that you could almost forget that we were just doing this, you know, last year and the year before this and the year before this. And it's a cycle. It hasn't been broken yet, regardless of different, you know, chiefs of police, different mayors, different leaders put into place based on previous incidents. Uh, we're still, you know, going through these same cycles, which, you know, that tends to have you bottled up. At least I'll speak for myself. I do feel bottled up often because it's almost like you're waiting for the next occurrence. Self-care, an example of self-care for me. So, I mean, and and it does really, uh, you know, um, it's happened around, well, right after the George Floyd incident. You know, a lot of times as as black leaders, you know, typically um, when, when something happens, we find ourselves in a position where we have to ease or comfort our white counterparts, hmm. right? You know, and um, so, you know, I, you know, when the incident, when, when the murder of George Floyd happened, you know, uh, I was, I was over a department. I had about a hundred or so teachers, you know, prim, uh, prim, primarily white, say about 95% white. And, you know, they, they were making comments and, you know, um, and, you know, showing their emotions and things of that nature. Uh, and I chose not to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, 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 I responded <laughs> during the Philando. Mm-hmm. I responded during the Jamar Clark, which happened right outside of Minneapolis Public Schools at the time. You know, um, but I, you know, I chose not to respond. I, I don't think I, I wrote anything for, for at least for the first week. And it may have been two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I think they needed to sit in that. They didn't, they didn't need me coming and telling them how I feel. It's not about how I feel, because I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. We didn't do this, mm-hmm. right? Sit in the reality of what the people who look like you do, right? And then try to justify. So I let them sit in that for about two weeks. When I finally did respond, though, I had to, um, once again, I didn't respond to comfort them, but I wanted to let them know that the pain that I was in. And I typically don't do that, right? But, um, you know, and this is a story that nobody knows, so you'll be the, the first to hear it outside of that, that staff, you know, but I had to inform them that it really hits home with me because when we talk about, you know, uh, police brutality or, you know, the murders of black people by, by police officers, you know, both of my grandfathers were killed by police officers. My maternal and my paternal grandfathers were both murdered by police officers. In San, I'm from St. Louis originally. Mm. Both were murdered by police in different situations, but it's, it happened. You know, my, my uncle... You know, when they get in, when it gets, you know, second, yeah. third, <laughs> uncle, cousin. <laughs> but, you know, he was executed um, by Missouri Department of Corrections. And then he was, then he was exonerated afterwards. You know, um, I had another uncle who was on death row and then was released. Mm. You know, so, you know, I have a very different experience, mm-hmm. you know, with law enforcement, you know, um, and how that trauma has impacted me over my lifespan. Right. Even though it may have been a trauma that. I may have not personally experienced, like I wasn't there at the moment, but I didn't have a grandfather mm. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have an uncle. You know, so, so I had to explain to them, our experiences are different. And I'm not the only person who sits in that seat. These people who are being murdered, they have families. And 20 years from now, if we don't make changes now, you're going to have somebody else sit in that seat talking about, this is what happened to me. You know, my, my father, George Floyd, was murdered. 20, you know, like, right. these things stick with us over time. So that's when I talk about that trauma, that anger that's there. But then it's in a bottle because nobody, they can't, I won't say nobody, they can't understand that because they want me to come in and say, it's going to be okay. Well, what are you going to do to make it okay? Mm. One, thank you for bringing that into the space and for the yes. one to do so, you know. And I think you were really diplomatic in the way you put it. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> you know, challenging relationships with, with, with police is very diplomatic for what we can actually say because I'm fortunately... I can't think of any of my um, black male friends growing up that can have a positive relationship with a positive association with the police officer that's not their family. And mm-hmm. I can call them by name. Right. So, so like, we, it's, it means a whole different thing. When I say Officer Carter, when I say Officer Brown, mm-hmm. like, that means something in this community. Um, and that's very different, right? Absolutely. Like, it's, it's almost to the point where, where you, cannot, you cannot put them in the same category as police officer in a general psyche sense. Because if True. it wasn't for those black officers... Um, I would not be able to say I had a positive association. I've been put onto the ground. I remember in my, I, I'm, a, I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, University of Minnesota, right? <laughs> I'm going to hold that against you. Right? That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We all, it's, it's all real in the fall. But um, I remember walking by the third precinct, okay? Yeah. So I'm, just, I'm looking at you, <laughs> Brother Cassius, just because you public defender. Uh, I was almost could have been one of your cases because I'm walking in there and they, they stopped me Right. And this is after some OGs have just rolled by and I'm wearing a Kappa Letterman's jacket. So that means I'm wearing red and white and blue territory. OK. Right. Like it, but but when it rolled up and immediately I'm, I became happy aware like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't I didn't been on campus too long. I didn't forgot where I was. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden these bros rolled by the road on the window and it was like, that's right. Get that education, cuz. And, and, and it was just mm-hmm. like, there was understanding of where I was at. And it was that kind of communal thing. Like, yeah. I, I was, I felt fine, mm-hmm. right? Not 10 minutes later, bloop, bloop, pull up on me on the corner. Says I fit the description of, of, of a robbery that's happened. Now, I can hear the radio description of the six foot three uh, Afro blue down coat wearing person. And I'm wearing a, letter, a, a, a Greek letterman's jacket and slacks yep. with, with dress shoes on, looking real hella cane. out of place. <laughs> I didn't have my cane. I didn't have my cane, and thank God, given the way yes, that the right, precinct right, responds to folks. But, but, but I find myself on the ground and scuffed. I still have the scuffs that I refuse to put mm-hmm. saddle soap on on that letterman's jacket sitting in my closet as a reminder that I can't get too comfortable. My brother-in-law was dragged by St. Paul police officers and, and, and scuffed up um, as he got an anxiety response from them pulling up on him. Um, and, and, they, and it was just one of those stops where they just wanted to check something right. for you to respond. So <laughs> as you hear, as I hear you talk about those stories, like all of these other ones flood back. Mm. And, I, you know, and, and so for the cashers, I'm just I'm wondering, as a public defender, you're working in a space, this has yeah. got to be hitting you a certain way. Well, no, it's um, my whole career. Like when I came, when I actually, when I went to law school, I went to law school, I was going to be a public defender. Mm-hmm. I had seen the attorneys out in DC at the public defender service. And so I'm doing that. So, um, so yeah, so it does hit in this space and there's, you know, what you've said, you know, Anthony, um, I've heard that from, you know, most of the clients I represent, I've represented as an attorney, as a public defender in private practice. Um, 
have those stories. Uh, I have my stories as well. Um, in the sense, you know, I, fortunately, I haven't had anyone, you know, family member die or killed by the police. But as far as every other experience you can imagine hmm. just with the police, every negative experience, um, I've experienced it, my family experienced it. Um, police officer in the family, my uncle, Mitchell, he's a police officer in Philadelphia. Um, and growing up, like I said, I was the only police officer. <laughs> my, my dad was in the military. So, you know, had some of that. But um, so I have the, I would echo everything you said um, as far as the number of people who have had that. People call it secondary trauma, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I academically know what that is. But it's, I also think trauma is trauma, you know, yeah. so it's and then the effects of it. Uh, so in the space that I'm in, as far as uh, leading an office and as far as representing, you know, that's something that um, the plus of being able to talk about is being able to, as I said, I've got, you know, my own issues with self-care and figured out what I'm going to do for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that um, fortunately we're able to understand it and figure out how, you know, with our clients, right? you know, um, and I don't, you can assume, but the majority of clients that come through um, our office are black, um, primarily black males. So this this trauma is uh, rampant and throughout there. And I, getting back to what we talked about before, the uh, anger is there and the disappointment is there in that this does go on and on and on. Um, so we got to figure out, I suppose, what the next steps are once we're at a point of recognizing. Yeah, I told a friend of mine from Chicago, I was like, if you went out to the Hen- Hennepin County Courthouse, you'd think Minneapolis was 85% black because mm. that's who's down there being violated and criminalized. That's not who's doing all the crime in the city. <laughs> that's who is being in, you know, inter- interjected into the, the system. And, you know, listening to all of us tell these stories, like we, we have every right to walk around like my mom used to say, just acting a fool. Like we could just be just flipping out because of of all these like legitimate experiences that readily made you bitter and you know um, just willing to express yourself in any like emotional way. But we don't have that luxury. We all have to be um, respectable. We all have to show respectability at all points, even when we're arguing from our heart or arguing for our, our very lives. Um, and that, that's been another frustration in this, this recent time is like legitimate protests when people were using their First Amendment right, it's been used against us, mm. you know, as people of color and especially as black folks, um, as somehow we're ungrateful or somehow we're too loud or sometimes we're too, we're too disruptive. Um, when the only remedy we've been left with is to disrupt because we've, we've taken the course of, yes, we'll, we'll show up and, and go by the book and try to, you know, we, we had this young man, Jaleel Stallings, that was charged with attempted murder mm-hmm. against police when everyone in the system saw the, the videotape and knew that he was not an attempted murderer, mm-hmm. knew the conditions that happened knew exactly knew that he was an army veteran, someone who had served this right. country honorably. Uh, yet he was still treated as a potential murderer. Um, that, and that's after 
the murder of George Floyd. So, you know, that's part of the pent up frustration for me is that I feel like we've all played by the rules very well, even more so. Hmm. <laughs> and yet we're still <laughs> faced with the same kind of response. I mean, you, you're leading a whole, you know, division of this, this system, yet, you know, you could walk out of the door today and be treated very much the same way. Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I can go off on a number of things, but uh, <laughs> it's, um, and that's in, you know, um, as I sit here right now, you know, I came from, came from the courthouse, came from the office and, um, you know, so I'm sitting in a shirt and tie. Doesn't matter. It's like a shirt and tie. I got the red tie. So I found it fitting some description somewhere. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting here, um, again, stories start coming to flood there, but something you said, brother DA, um, specifically around how this conversation, whenever we start engaging and starting to uncover the stuff that's being bottled, mm -hmm. um, we somehow get pulled into this conversation about criminal acting. Yes. Um, and and, 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 and this, this is a frustrating thing for me in particular because when we get pulled into that conversation, then we get pulled into the defense of everybody who's made a poor choice, that's right. which is a minority of folks in our community. Let's be clear. The data supports this, right? When you talked about who's committing the crime, right, there is a disproportionality and that gets left off of the conversation. The frustration is not the presence of folks who make bad choices. Now, we had community ways to deal with that. That's right. Like, I, I remember... I remember being in Hinton, West Virginia. This is a, this is part of my family, the Galloways. We some we some hillbillies. We, we we in the hollows, right? But but we we I remember um, somebody somebody uh, assaulted this lady in the community, right? And my back of my mind expectation autopilot. Oh, somebody's gonna call the officers. This is what we're about to do. And my aunt Helen was like, "We ain't calling nobody." We and she gets this. on the phone mm -hmm. and she calls a couple of folks. They over and they go grab this boy and she's in the, all of a sudden, Aunt Helen, who can cook her behind off, by the way, um, is sitting in there. Uncle Billy comes into the mix. Big, big, just, I mean, giant folks. I'm the runt in my family both directions. <laughs> and um, they are going to deal with this right here. Mm -hmm. Right here. Right? That boy, <laughs> when we went back for the family reunion, was still doing restitution. He was in the kitchen cooking and then he was doing other stuff. Like, they right. used up all of his time, Right. And and everybody was in on it, and and I don't like that. We got ways to deal with that. The problem is we will spend all of our we'll get pulled into trying to defend not criminalizing him mm -hmm. in the system in a systemic way, and not talk about the fact that disproportionately the folks who are assaulting folks in that same area did not look like him, right? You know, right for the same behaviors, brother Williams. You know this data: same behaviors. Black kids are five times more likely to be referred to the office. We we got the the, the white man who ch who went on a chase with the officers, um, uh, hit a, hit an officer with a hammer, with a hammer. <laughs> pinned him with his car, mm -hmm. and still came home. Right. Meanwhile, Amir can't even wake up before you know fully wake up before he's before he's killed, and we, and yet we're not talking about the criminality of other folks when we get into this conversation when we're trying to put forward the disproportionate treatment. And and so in, in, in to terms of the question about what what's left, mm -hmm. I'll never forget talking to when we were doing holding circles, holding space for some several organizations to process what's coming up for George Floyd. And I'll never forget the time this sister, she was the whole time she was looking, rocking back and forth, like I'm not about to say this, I'm not about to say this. 
And we got just comfortable enough in this conversation <laughs> for her to lean forward and go, well, you know what? I haven't slept. And I'm saying this because I'm, I'm at In Progress and I'm looking at a screen um, with the burning building or a picture, a photo with the burning building on there. She's like, I take that back. I did sleep really, really good the night the third precinct burned down. Mm. And everybody was like, whoa, she just went there. Did she just say that? Right. Like, oh, so she's, and she said, let me explain because I see your reactions. And this is on Zoom. So she's like really into people's, yeah. you know, body language. And she starts to tell about all the experiences that she had, mm-hmm. right? And all of her, her, her sons and her nephews and all of these folks who have had these experiences with this, with this precinct. Meanwhile, their white friends in this area did not have the same experiences, but they were mm-hmm. there. She remembers blatantly them jumping on the kids because they were, I think they were, they broke, they broke a window. They broke a window because they were tossing the football and somebody threw yeah. it because they didn't know what the heck they were doing and they broke a window, right? right? They jumped on the black kids. All the white kids went home and told their parents about it, who then came and helped get the other black kids out the pre- Like, this is the experience, disproportionate behavior. But we always get pulled into the conversation of defending the, the, the individual actions of bad choices of a handful of folks instead of a systemic issue that's, that's criminalizing us and let a whole bunch of other folks go back home. We just lost D. Hill, North Minneapolis, quarterback, you know, wonderful young man. I, I met him when he went to Lucy Laney. Um, and immediately the talk was about, you know, our, our, um, dysfunction in our, our, Mm -hmm. um, community. And it turns out the person who shot him was a a white person. Hmm. So it, it flipped all of those assumptions on their head and, um, really forces us to analyze what are the real problems in community when, uh, we have a police force that we spend a lot of money on, yet they don't protect us from the things that we need protecting from, which is an uh, influx of guns into our communities. Like we don't we don't see a lot of protection under those um, parameters. Um, it, it doesn't do us a lot of good from a heart and love and family and person standpoint. It's not going to bring back. Because we're we're related to the victims as well as we're related to some of the the victimizers, so it, it would do us much more good to have the prevention and the investment and the intervention um, versus the investment and in the arrest or the investment in a system that incarcerates a bunch of people, rounds them up on a regular basis, and just incarcerates big large groups of young men and then expects them to come out of that experience transformed into something positive. Hmm. Like that's, that's not even realistic. Um, and we don't do, and, and no other like small subset group is treated like that in this country where they're round up and put into um, harsh and violent conditions and expected to come out as better people. Hmm. Well, something that we share with our indigenous brothers, right? Yeah, um, for sure. We're 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 in it. I'm 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 realizing as I hear all of us speak that we're in a space where all of us touch some portion of this pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and brother Williams, I know you do some 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 work on that on this on this pipeline. It just it's got me thinking about the ways in which I see school systems um, kind of as practice spaces for this tension and this. Um, this this power over yeah. um, uh, this compliance culture 
you know, that I can't get you to comply the way I want to. And so all of a sudden in school, I'm already starting to have this authority interaction that then I'm just not going to stand for at some point. And it leads to to some of these 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 conflicts with officers who are demanding they're a part of that, which leads us into, you know, having no record whatsoever, no previous record, even though we we have shown that we can give lenient sentences to folks with no previous records in the, in the, in the Kim Potter case, but we, we don't seem to extend that to some of the brothers who are other brothers. So um, I'm just, it's, it's, I'm also seeing that connection in the space too, that, that, that these interactions, I, you know, if I go back now, I'm starting to think about my second grade encounter in the hallway, just running, <laughs> um, running down the hallway because I'm late and, and then being told a certain way. I, Dr. Dolores Henderson snatching yeah. me out of a special ed classroom that nobody talked to my parents to put me into in the first place, mm-hmm. which is a huge mm-hmm. big deal in the school yeah. legal side. My mom could have sued the best of that school. <laughs> but I also remember her taking me outside and like sitting down and looking at me and going, all right, I'm going to get you back to class. Why don't you go do this? Mm-hmm. And fine. And I knew, just because I knew the body language of, 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 of the women in my family, that something was about to happen <laughs> in that room. So I stayed and listened outside the door and she cussed everybody mm-hmm. out. Um, and had some had a come to Jesus moment with folks in there. So th- th- that school connection to some of the things we're talking about is huge. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, we're not. You know, I, I can't go into too much in depth right. on that. Just because uh, nothing with the as far as the district is concerned. Just because it's a problem that hasn't been solved. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. We know we're not doing it right. Yeah. You know. Um, and it, and some real things systemically have to change. But I don't know who has the answer for that. We do try yeah. some things around restorative. You know, I think a lot of schools are diving more into restorative practices and, you know, um, restorative circles and things of that nature. That's a good step. But once again, it's, the system is so big, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not doing it right. Um, one thing I want to sort of touch on, you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, I can't remember the exact, exact phrase you used, but you talked, I know you talked about some about around behavior, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and how what I equated that to is we all make mistakes, not, not just, you know, um, communities of color. Right. Everybody makes mistakes, some people are allowed to learn from their mistakes and grow up them and become adults. And some people are not, right? And, and that's what we're seeing. You know, we, we see the, the villainizing of our young, young boys when they're put on television as, as, as men and monsters, mm-hmm. right? When they show the worst of, them, of their image to justify, you know, um, their outcome versus saying that this is a, this is a, 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 a point in time right. and this person never got to see Hmm. You know, right. saying the, the rest of their life, the rest of their future, and what they could be, right? And that's that's happening so often in our communities. You know, um, where our, our children are, they're there. I, th- I think I heard this. Uh, uh, Dante Wright's mother said it. You know, you, you killed my son twice, mm-hmm. right? But the media portrayal really killed him a third time, mm-hmm. and and that's what Ooh. we're dealing with. Ooh, I'm oh, sorry. I just had to take a pause on that yeah. one. Wow. And I was, I, w- I was there at the, at the first vigil right after it happened um, with uh, some, some chaplains who were asked by the family to come and hard to hold the space at the site of the, of, of the killing. And, you know, within hours, they had the, the secondary fist from the George Floyd yeah. Square that they had to, they, they took had the out of storage. Out. They had the yeah, flowers out, out there. had mm-hmm. a little tent. We had a little, little, so I remember the pastor at, um, I think it was Plymouth Congregational Church as a brother, um, historic white church and now they got a brother as a, you know so that there's a story there in itself but but he talked he talked about this you know uh, it was easter it was easter yeah and uh he's like he's like a resurrection is is an uprising 
Um, and he was talking about, you know, and it, it was, and, and she had made that statement that, that, you know, they, they didn't, didn't, you know, it, it, it is, it is, I am growing more and more convinced that um, us checking out, and I have freedom school in the mind with this, mm-hmm. just because of what the Children's Defense Fund has been able to create. And I think it's a space that works counter to um, oh, yeah. the, the ways in which we school kids now. Mm-hmm. 100%. It, 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 meets, it, says, it says, you've got brilliance in you already, and we're going to find that brilliance and, and not find because it's not there or we have to look for it some way, but we're going to figure out how to calibrate ourselves to be able to see it. Yep. That's that shift, right? Right. And, and um, so, so you've got all these kids, and it just it, it, it's, to me, we talk about you know, what's in front of us for solution ways. Like if I could pull my kid out of school and just put them in freedom school 24-7, yep. because what do we know about freedom school? It grows reading levels, you know, multiple years, grade levels. Uh, for experience, kids are coming out there learning about themselves, happy about what they're doing. They actually want to show up. Right. Like, like look at the attendance rate. If you just pull the <laughs> right. attendance rate of freedom schools. Um, <laughs> not, just, not just the kids, but the families. The families as well. Absolutely. Walking into a room going, you know, we're going to talk to families. And because I'm in my, my regular K-12 public mm-hmm. school mindset, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have 15, 20 parents in there. And I show up and there's 90 parents and translators necessary. Yep. Um, and, and there's, a, there's, there's, <laughs> there's not enough translators for the Spanish language speakers in the space. And I have to pull out my, my dusty Spanish to be able to, to engage. Like, that's, that's it. Right. And what is it? You, 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 you we completely shift. The, the behavior data is the exact opposite of every mm-hmm. school district for whom a freedom school. Go back and look at the behavior data in freedom schools. It usually is the exact opposite of what the school district's behavior is, right? Um, and then you set up an even bigger problem because kids go back into school and they're like, this ain't like freedom school. So <laughs> it's, we've got to be able to do things differently. They got to be able to do do things differently. And so, I mean, in that vein, like, what are the moments that, um, what are the moments where you're like, this feels right? This feels like where I want to be. What does that work look like? What does that environment look like? What is what is, what is the environment that you're not bottling? To borrow your metaphor, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in because I'm gonna start with freedom schools for me mm-hmm. because freedom freedom schools really changed my life, hmm. right? You know. Um, like I've been in freedom schools, like I said, since I was, I was never a scholar in freedom schools, you know, but I had been an intern. I was one of the youngest interns in freedom schools when, when, when the movement was here in Minnesota, it's still here in Minnesota, but, you know, um, and it changed my life as a young adult, mm. right? You know, changed my, my outlook, my confidence level in myself, although I always thought I was a very confident person, but in my, in my self-awareness, you know, my cultural understanding, you know, um, my self-pride and that, you know, you spoke to it, freedom school is a model that works. Freedom Schools is um, an uh, education initiative of the Children's Defense Fund. Um, you can look, listen to our previous counter story show where we talked to Melos Loso from the Children's Defense Fund and we talked a little bit about the history of Freedom Schools. Within the, within the school system structure, there are school districts that do have Freedom Schools that run year round. Mm-hmm. Some of the barriers that they face may be with the unions. Because Freedom Schools, you know, you have... You, you have Licensed educators, you have community education, mm-hmm. you have the people, you have the community educating the children. They look like the children, they understand mm-hmm. the children, and they want to be there to serve the children, right, and the families. But when you get into the, the traditional education setting, then, you, then unions come into play, or licensures come into play, education level comes into play, really pushes the community out, mm-hmm. right? right? So that, that's, that's, those are some of the things we continue to do wrong, and some things that we have to address as a system to say, 
how do we get that parent back in here to teach, to, to help teach these kids? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get that pastor back in here to help teach these kids, mm-hmm. right? To help teach our scholars, to help teach our future, you know, and really, and I, I'm not going to be, you know, union bashing, but like they carry a lot of weight in those decisions, right? You know, and, and we put those barriers in place for a reason. Yeah. Let's, let's understand what that reason is. Mm. Real talk. Yeah. I mean, what I'm seeing is <clears throat> a lot of the same, the tenants around Freedom School, but just applied to a different system, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a group, um, I think it's Relationships Expanding Possibilities, it's called REP, and they just developed their own network of folks you would call um, that are not the police, right? Mm-hmm. So if you got somebody who's, you know, in a, in a crisis and needs some intervention that doesn't need an armed person to come that doesn't understand them or love them, you call rep instead, and it's it's a network of neighbors, mm-hmm. you know. So it's, it's the same sort of concepts where we're 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 rejecting these these systems that aren't designed for our um, thriving, and we're saying, what have we done traditionally throughout our time in this country, right? Which is uh, really rely on one another, uh, really. Um, um, amplify the expertise and the genius that's already in our communities and allow those things to thrive within those systems, right? So, you know, we can design public safety systems that work for us, um, that, that protect us, that intervene, that do conflict resolution. You know, I know there's some brothers, I know, you know, Gail Smaller. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Gail is working with some brothers in North Minneapolis. They have a whole program around, uh, you know, formerly incarcerated folks who are like in the community working with young folks and and really doing that intervention work, like from a place of, I know exactly what you're feeling right now. And I'm going to talk you through this and we're going to have a relationship and it's going to grow and, you know, you're going to fail and we're going to come back to it and we're going to keep trying it and we're going to keep trying it, um, which is, you know, it's it's kind of the polar opposite of the way the systems are designed, which mostly are there, if you do make that one mistake, then you're you're done. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, like you get into a, a a certain track of special education, and that could be the remainder of your life. No matter if you develop later, like you just your genius came <laughs> about later, they already tracked you as this is this is where you are. This is this is your potential. It caps out here. Um, we can reject those things because we know that that doesn't fit for us. And we know because we, we've seen our own families, we've seen ourselves. Like, you know, I was a late bloomer. Like, a lot of us were late bloomers, right? right. So we've seen that in our own selves that if, if we would have been sort of, our lives would have amounted to what we were doing in third grade or second grade, um, you know, right. well, we wouldn't be here around right. this table probably, right? No, I agree. As far as what in my space, it's not the um, education space, but um, what we have work to do and what we are doing is, you know, um, as defenders, as public defenders, um, I did see a system that I grew up in in D.C. in which the um, public defenders, I mean, it was known in the community. It was, it was um, you know, there wasn't the uh, concern of being, you know, whether you're going to get good representation or anything else because, the defender's office is part of the community. You know, you walk in, we have these little red wells. You guys, 
Who's my age here? <laughs> the accordion <laughs> folders. You walk yeah, around, they're like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. look at you funny because you got like whatever you're wearing, you know. But then they're like, oh, okay, that's so and so's public defender, right? So when I took this position, I was thinking of how a um, number of things because I set aside my practice, which was, you know, a very good one. Um, but the way I envision it is having this office be part, you know, of the community in that way, in the sense of. So where we can be in our in the space, you know, I don't see it that much different than like, um, you know, what you all talk about in the education field. Because if we can have contact and be in contact with someone, because people always say, you know, um, we see people on their worst day, you know, like when they're, in, you know, friend, family members got a charge or they've got a charge. And I look at it, we don't have to be, it doesn't have to be that we see them on their worst day. We, we can be in the schools, we can talk, you know, we can, you know, we've already talked about like the trauma and things that we know about. Um, but basically getting in and working with you all and like talking to the students and like it doesn't quite frankly have to be about the law. We got to know your rights program that's coming in, you know, which we're going to, with middle schoolers and high schoolers and things, try and work with some of the schools. But just being there, talking to, you know, the students so they can see um, we've increased the number of attorneys of color in the last year who were in the office, but basically having someone see um, us and be able to talk to us, and it can be about anything, quite frankly. <laughs> but the yeah, point right. is, then they know, and then it's not a matter of just, like, seeing people just say on your worst day, it's like, but kind of being part of a, um, you know, be part of a solution, what you were saying, DA, about, like, how we can look at different ways of, uh, dealing with public safety, you know, um, being part of those conversations before just being reactionary. Right. And that's something that, you know, there is a space for it. There's resources for it. And hopefully we can accomplish that sooner rather than later. That's why, that's why I see us being proactive and we're, you know, as being involved. And then just instead of just saying, okay, well, we're going to wait until, you know, that person's in court charged with something right. and then we're going to give them the best defense possible, mm. right? I mean, <laughs> which we will, but, <laughs> the point is like, but the point is, you know, if we can, we have a, we have an obligation and duty to be there, you know, beforehand as part of the, uh, as part of the community and be a resource for the community. That problem you're talking about, is it specifically targeted towards black males or is it, is it just youth in general? Um, this, well, as far as, well, Program I referenced no, the Know Your Rights. Rights. The Know Your Rights. Well, typically, Know Your Rights program, like you'll have like law students doing it. Okay. You know, like in Minnesota, like law students do it um, with the uh, MJF, Minnesota Justice Foundation. You'll have people do that. And what I look at is what we're starting to do is connect with some schools in order to have our attorneys do that. Um, and definitely our attorneys of color will be doing it. But like our attorneys go in and, um, do that one to like say here are your rights here are situations um but also then be a resource and let people know so it's it's a um i've always had this idea not always i got i've been in a couple of different systems but a lot of times in our space you know you have people say we are client-centered or we are community engaged and it's like well what's your Give me a program. What's your, what's your community <laughs> engagement? <laughs> what's, what's, what's your community engagement? I've never seen you before in my life. Now you want to show up and be like, yeah, I was being part of your community. Exactly. So it's a, um, so we're um, progressing through that. We have to get to that point where we are actually doing that. So as far as the program, um, it's really a matter of getting into schools at this point. I'd love to be involved in something where we're, we're talking now and doing that. But right now we're talking to schools in Minneapolis, they can let them know. Then also, you know, 
So I mean, we've got like um, internship internship program in the mix. Hopefully, trying to get that this summer um, involved, and it's it's amazing because a lot of these things can be done simply with. Um, uh, it's not a budgetary issue, okay. you know. Because it's like literally. Here's the thing. Okay. It's like a manpower issue. A lot yeah. of, as far as it doesn't cost, it doesn't cost. Any, it takes time, but it doesn't talk time to go and talk to students in a sure. school. It doesn't take time. It doesn't talk. Take any money. Go, yeah. You know, tell about your rights, or just go and be there and see who we are and have a conversation and be a resource. It doesn't take any money to have. Um, people come into our office space to be able to ask questions before they get, uh, you know, before they're sitting right. with the charge, something like, or if they need expungement help or yeah. something on those lines. We, if we can't help them ourselves, we can refer it. So, or just you know, on the smallest level, like letting young people know that your parent can be with you mm. when the police want to ask you about something. Because exactly, I have in my own family a family member who, at a very young age who ended up, you know, admitting to something they didn't do. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, their mother would have been in the room at the time, that would have never happened. Like something that small yeah. caused this cascade of things that he had to work through, you know, for most, a, a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. a, a huge portion of his young life. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's hilarious. As a pastor, I've I've had to come into classrooms. Again, I'm making the connection, right? Classrooms and police stations was when I'm I'm the one that some somebody got, got was able yes. to get to, or somebody mm -hmm. in that force, somebody mm -hmm. in that space is like, hey, Pastor Galloway, so this is going down mm -hmm. right here. Right. You just show up at this point at this time, and I, I I can picture walking into rooms and and got the collar on. Yeah. Walking into the room, <laughs> folks, because I, I get to walk into the room and, and folks immediately like, oh, what do I do now? Because now there's something else. In the room. I can't do what I was uh -huh. planning to do. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the things that 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 gets me back into that that space, because I want to send my children to spaces where their 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 expectation of respect level, mm -hmm. the way we do is is way high. Right. And they are not going for somebody, some adult trying to do this compliance power thing on them, they just, they're going to push back mm -hmm. and they're not going to comply with you and they're going to get sent to the office and they're going to get under your skin. They're going to be your target because they don't show up the way you want them to show up. I, 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 that's who's coming to you. And that goes, takes me right back into the, the parental fear space because we're not sending you easy kids. We're not sending you compliant kids. And it's not because they don't know how to behave is that you don't know how to how to deal with the respect level space in here. Yep. I, I, I will never forget. Uh, Mary, uh, she teaches at, uh, at a school in Robbinsdale. Um, uh, a teacher named Miss McCauley, fourth grade teacher, a master teacher. I've watched her. I've been in her classroom. You know, she's taught me a bunch of things. Right. I will never forget a student coming down a hallway and he's using every dictionary level Curses I ain't never heard before in my life. He's and creating them Just creating the them. Just creative, right? And she gets, like, he gets into the space, right? And, and, and I'm immediately, I'm about to be in that space because I know, I know this is the moment where somebody comes out of pocket, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the principal at the time was a brother as well. And, and he starts to orbit too. So we kind of meet right here. We get to the opening in the area where it is. And Miss McCauley's already got on, on, on the knees and he's gone, Right. And she's just looking at him and she goes, oh, no, I'm going to wait because um, you may have an issue right now, but you're not about to disrespect me. So I'm just going to wait 
until you get down there. And then we're going to deal with all the stuff that's going on. And you're going to tell me what it is. But, but you know, what do you need right now to get this out? Right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's, he's like, I don't know. She was like, well, let's go run on the playground for a little bit. Right? So he takes, takes him out. Immediately, somebody else fills in the classroom. I'm like watching Master, Master yeah, Phil. Master work, right? She goes in the classroom. They tossing the ball back and forth. I'm, I go back out there because I'm like, I want to see what's happening here, right? Yeah. And she's like, she and she keeps working in the conversation. Where are you at night now? He's, she's like, he's like, I'm still at a seven. Posit- you know, positive behavior mm-hmm. stuff, right? So so he gets down to a six or uh, six and he gets down to about a five. And she's like, now can you tell me what's going on? And then he starts giving her the story. And she's and she gets the story. She's like, all right, here's what we're going to do to talk and talk and process it. And then she stops and she says, now. What are we going to do about all those words you was using and all the things that we're going to mm. going through the hallway? Because you're not about to get off the hook there. And I watched his whole demeanor look just like it, we do in family. She had picked up on something. This is like woman. Taught in Minneapolis forever and a day. Mm. Worked at the worked at Robin's Dose, right? So, so she's masterful, right? Mm-hmm. And then brings back in. And I remember a conversation that had to get interrupted with administration when folks started to complain about the fact that she wasn't in her space. <laughs> right. Not about the good work that she did, right. but the fact that she wasn't in her space. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and, and what does that teach you that to, the, to the young man whose issue revolved, revolved around the fact that an adult had violated his respect right. conventions right. and he wasn't having it, didn't have the language to figure out how to check that, right? That's the kind of conditioning that we grow up in. And so by the time we get to high school, you know, I, I, like before you, I'm not giving nobody grace. Right. You had zero grace with me. Right. And then we can see how those things unfold over time for you know we saw the video that just happened in the freaking mall yeah when the white boy comes in and, and jumps on the young brother young brother fights they're fighting i'm looking at that i'm like okay kids is gonna fight right. like there's a way to handle that where no, nobody gets hurt but you can get your old stuff out and then we deal with it and then the, and then the cops jump on the young brother and, the, and, and to the point if go back and look at their video the look on those white friends faces yeah. when they see this pattern play out and they're like oh my gosh yeah. like yeah I can't even be, I don't even remember what we were fighting about anymore because I just saw this happen in front of my face. Mm-hmm. Like, those are some of the things that still give me anxiety even yeah. when I think about know your rights. Well, now mm-hmm. them kids are going to ex- employ that. And what's the response going to be? Mm-hmm. That sticks with me. I, I think, you know, that know your rights program, you know, um, as you're speaking about that, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because, you know, you know, I talked about, you know, our, our kids, everybody makes mistakes. But a lot of times, just knowing those rights helps them to not go too far. You know, I always talk to students about, you know, you're going to be a kid, you're going to do certain things, but don't do something that's going to change your life for the negative, right? right? Be careful of what you do because some things have certain consequences. But, you know, that having that whole, just a concept of just, a, even some of the basic knowledge mm-hmm. will help them navigate some like, man, it, I don't know. I don't know if I'll make that decision, right? I'm going yeah. to call, right. especially if they got a contact. I'm going to call right. somebody first and just sort of talk, to, talk through these things before I just jump off the deep end because a lot of times yeah. they don't got nobody who knows their rights in, in their life at all. The adults mm-hmm. don't know them. You know, the kids don't know them and they just they just living by, by experience, yeah. right? So I think that would be a powerful uh, piece that we can add into some you know, okay. and let me know whenever you want to connect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you. Keep that round yeah. table going. Yeah. Brothers, exactly. I one of the challenges we have here is that these are the kinds of conversations that one give me life, and then two, we don't get to have enough. And unfortunately, we get to the end of our time together. Um, so we got to have a round two. Um, but I just want to get us a, a chance to, to be able to go around because, and this is this comes from the practice of some of our community healers, Dr. Dr. Resma, 
uh, or not doctor yet, but resident. I'm going to start calling him doctor. I'm just prophetic. prophetic. Dr. Joy, um, Mother Atum, all of these different folks, um, Elder Mahmoud, all these different folks in community who, have, who, who help us to do what Brother Williams, you was talking about, you know, and, and, and what you're talking about in terms of the know your rights, right? We can be strategic. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, no matter how much is in our bottle, we have to constantly be in a space. It's just a burden of being us in this society is we got to figure out a way to be strategic um, as much as we can, because we know at certain points, all strategy goes out the window and you just going to get it live, direct, 100 percent worse. And uh, we just hope that there's folks around us who understand that moment when it comes out. Um, but but just to, to go around and be able to to just give kind of a one word space about where you're at now. Now, we started the conversation to a certain place. Just do a check-in and be able to say where you are now as we wrap up. So, go ahead. I feel that, that breathing that you mentioned earlier, um, just for us, from us being able to share space, it, it feels like breathing, like being able to exhale. Um, and you mentioned Dr. Joy, and Dr. Joy talks about, you know, the, the principal struggle that we're in. But Dr. Joy also talks a lot about our somatic, you know, responses, the way our body responds, the way our health responds. And so it's important to like have these conversations and allow ourselves to breathe. So I thank you all. I really appreciate spending this time with you. Thanks, Brother DA. Yeah. I want to echo that. You know, I know I got to walk back out this door back into the real world, right? But but this space um, really was, was, was a space where I was allowed to exhale. And then, you know, you mentioned uh, Brother Resma, soon to be Dr. Resma. Yep. You know, he also talks about, you know, recognizing, you know, uh, the impact on your body, right? And, um, man, this is actually the first interview that I've probably done in a long time. I don't do a lot of them, but I do enough of them where I was actually shaking, right? Mm. That, was, that was the, you know, early on, that was the, the impact of my body. Mm. And, 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 and as I was able to exhale, you know, through the conversation and really sit at the table with some, with some brothers, you know, um, mm. who we haven't, you know, really officially met each other prior <laughs> to this, right? But, but just being able to, to, to release, you know what I'm saying, that, that space, I really was able to, to calm me. I feel, I feel good. That's what's up. <laughs> no, I agree. I feel good. Um, and I'll say, well, actually, when I was coming into this, coming into this area, the space today, I was pulling in trying to find a parking spot. I saw, I saw one brother at the table actually uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, so I was, saw a little bit of him. I was like, this is going to be good. So no, I, um, so it was good to sit here and have, uh, have this conversation. And then also, you know, leaving here, we'll have more conversations and, They'll be in contact, and that's something that, of all the stresses and everything else, I was looking forward to coming here. I haven't been disappointed. I appreciate all of you. Well, um, I'm going to borrow this from the Bearing Witness podcast. For the D, I know you came up with Sister Georgia Fort, uh, journalist on the ground. Mm. Um, because we've referenced them so much, I'm going to reference Dr. Joy, um, you know, as we close out today. But um, we've been at the table, and I just think it's not robbery to sit, sit around the table and realize that we've got fathers We've got lawyers, we've got journalists and filmmakers, educators, uh, pastors, we've got community members, we've got folks with various talents. And that's just proud. I'm just proud to be able to show that that is the norm. That is the norm in our community. Um, I'll just good, go good sons. Good sons. You were talking about <laughs> what you got to do for your mom yep. for her birthday. <laughs> yes. yes. So, so um, uh, we've, we, this has been Counter Stories. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm D.A. Bullock, a filmmaker and resident of North Minneapolis. Anthony Williams, Executive Director of Community Education for Robinson Area Schools. And I'm Cassius Benson, the uh, Chief Public Defender in Hennepin County. 
And in the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may your revolution be healing. This is Counter Stories. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Amber's, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.